Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. It's time we had a peace talk. Because many of us are weary with losing the battle of worry. And God wants to remind us that while anxiety is a part of our life, it certainly does not have to run our lives. So we're going to take God at his word this morning, and we're going to do our best to allow his truth to set us free. Here's the truth key that's going to unlock the door to anxiety imprisoning anyone here this morning. You ready? Put your shoulders back. Breathe in deep with your lungs. Set your, set your mind on the screen that's coming up next. There we go. And read with me. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Bow with me, please. Father, we want those to be more than just words that we read on a screen. We're, we're hoping, we're anticipating that you meant what you said when you said the truth will set us free. And I know there are some people who walked into this building today with some serious anxiety, some serious worry. And I'm asking you, Father, would you please, please enable us to experience the truth of knowing that we truly can rejoice in you always, again and again. You said be anxious about nothing. Is that really possible? Now, we're not the only ones who hope that this is true. Father, this morning we joined First Press, who's also breaking bread, who's also hearing a word from you this morning. And we're asking you, please, would you knit our hearts together so that together as a community of Christ we can experience this peace? We can experience this joy, for we ask it humbly in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God hardwired you not to just exist. He wired you to live. And that impacted me in a huge way several weeks ago as I got prepared for this particular series. And I want to introduce you to something this morning you may want to give thanks for this week that you might not even know existed in you. It's your amygdalae. Amygdala, huh? No, amygdalae. They are two almond-shaped neural clusters that are at the lower part of your brain, and we want to give thanks for them because they are the reason many of you are alive today. It was the amygdalae that helped save your life when you heard the screech of the tires and stepped back on the curb to avoid that oncoming car. It was your amygdalae that triggered whenever that fastball was speeding towards your brain and you ducked those were your amygdalae working it's kind of like your own personal security system some of you have some of those in your home some of you have some of those in your apartments you know how they work if an intruder breaks a window seal or, or a hall camera picks up some motion in the hallway after you've set the alarm and you've gone to bed for the evening all of a sudden sirens fire and flashing lights come on that an intruder has gotten into your home, you need to do something quick. Now, that's what amygdalae do. Very simple, very similar. Now, when that fires in your home, 
The alarm's trying to get you up, get you out, and get you safe as quickly as possible before you even think about it. The same thing happens with our amygdala. We don't consciously hear the sounds of a screeching tire, and then we start thinking, whoa, that car's coming fast, and it's bigger than me, and if it runs over me, it will make a pancake out of me. I need to reverse quickly and begin now. You would be dead if that's how it works. No, you're amygdalae fire and all of a sudden you pull back off of the street and onto the curb. Thank you, God, for amygdalae. Amen? Amen, especially those of you with small boys. Our pupils dilate as soon as they fire. Our heart rate increases. It pumps blood to our extremities. Adrenaline flows along with increased oxygen to those extremities to help you to be stronger and quicker than you are normally. All of that to move you out of harm's way. Even the bowel system reacts when the amygdala fire. Jettisoning anything that you have in excess, maybe even your breakfast that morning to get you ready to either fight or flight. We love our amygdala. And we love our home security systems. Because we need things to help protect us from the evils and the things that would harm us in this world. But none of us wants a home security system that's hyperactive. None of us want a bird going over the house and kicking it off. None of us want our mate snoring and turning it on. None of us want a dog barking and it turning on. You wouldn't want any of those things tripping your security system at your home. But listen to me. You don't want that happening with your amygdala either. Living with anxiety is like living with amygdala that have an itchy trigger finger. Overreacting. Becoming too quick to respond. You see, an overactive amygdala sees a mole and immediately thinks, cancer. It sees a dip in the stock market and you think, all right, this is the next crash, I know it. It's hearing your child talk back to you and thinking, all right, they're going to be on drugs before they leave home. I know it. Toxic anxiety is a mental alarm system that doesn't turn off. And some of us know what that's like. Now, a small amount of anxiety can be helpful. It keeps us prepared. It keeps us alert. It keeps us on our toes. But what we don't need is a level of anxiety that keeps us perpetually on high alert. And so, God provided our bodies with a natural tranquilizer called dopamine and also serotonin. They actually restore a sense of happiness to our brains and a sense of peace when our amygdalae become active and kids won't stand still. If the security system of our brain is set and is established and is trained to get anxious at nearly anything, then a sense of happiness and peace is going to evade us. Your brain never resets. You become edgy and unsettled and you become restless. You become perpetually anxious and that's not good for anybody. Now anxiety again comes with life but we don't have to let it run our lives. And we don't have to allow it to dominate them. And so friend, God would like to influence and he would like to impact your amygdala through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he'd like to do that through the truth of his word. Now, you've got his word on this, that something can change. Something can happen 
when I'm confronted with anxious thoughts, when I'm confronted with worrisome thoughts, when I'm confronted with the frets, something can happen if, and we're going to talk about the if this morning. Paul's the one who brings us the if. Now, he is more than capable for being a spokesperson on anxiety's cure because if anybody had reason to be anxious, it's Paul. Because when he writes a letter to the church at Philippi, he's an old man. Sixty years old, was old in his day. He'd been a Christian for nearly 30 years. He spent decades as a missionary, and now he's spending his days in a jail cell, a Roman prison to be exact. His back, spider-webbed with scars for beatings, and incurred, incurred just because of being a Christ follower. In the act of sharing his faith, he's been beaten and left dead for t- twice at least, the book of Acts tells us. And now, as he writes this letter, he's awaiting trial in a Roman prison facing a Roman council that's more than hostile to Christians. Why? Because Nero has learned that he could enhance his image in the polls by killing Christians. And no Christian was more well-known than the one who sat in one of his prisons, none other than the Apostle Paul. So for the moment, let's call that just pressure from the outside. And as if that from the outside wasn't enough to disable him completely, the churches he had started were struggling big time. Let's call that pressure on the inside. Jesus hadn't returned as quickly as the early Christians had assumed that he would. Some were deeply discouraged by this, and some of his key leaders were bickering among themselves. Some were grumbling about the Gentiles' lack of consideration for the Jewish rituals. False teachers were complicating the simple gospel message with works righteousness theology. And some even preached Jesus for profit, not for the personal pleasure of God. So much of the easy life for the Apostle Paul, right? Pressures from within, pressures from without. It was no exaggeration to say that Paul's future was ever bit as gloomy as his jail cell that he was sitting in. But God, but God, when you read the letter that he writes from the jail cell, you get the impression that he's a guy who just arrived from a Jamaican hotel. There's no word of complaint. There's no hint of fear. There's no shaking his fist at God, but rather he gives thanks to God and calls on his readers to do exactly the same. That's the background of the guy who begins this section of his letter with these words. You know them well. Rejoice in the Lord Always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Now what you may not know about that is the word rejoice is a simple word, Greek word for kairos. It was used as a greeting. Instead of saying, hey, what's up? You would say kairos when you met someone. And what that meant was is both a declaration and a wish that you were making a rejoice choice. That you were choosing that day to, to see life, to experience life, and to love the life that you were living. Now, it was not dependent upon sunshine. It wasn't dependent upon the president. It wasn't dependent upon any set of circumstances. It was a choice that someone made to find joy in life, to mentally step into a steady, sturdy joy that human beings are capable of, and I cannot believe Paul says this, always. Rejoice in the Lord. Say it with me. Always. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Really? Is that an invitation? Or is it an impossibility? Your joy level and your peace level in your life will hinge on what you think about that. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Is that an invitation or an impossibility? Now, this may help you decide. This invitation by God to us to rejoice in our lives, to be anxious for nothing, was both an Old Testament suggestion, invitation, encouragement, as well as a new. In Psalm chapter 118 and verse 24, David writes this. This is a day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, that's a song that David's writing. We know that. That's what the Psalms are. They're songs. And so he's writing this song not just for himself, but he's writing it for his whole kingdom. Now, we would think, well, yeah, you're the king. You've got a lot to rejoice about. He's saying, no, we have a lot to rejoice about. Now, is the psalmist referring to a Sabbath day? I don't think so. I don't think he's referring to one of the Jewish holidays. I really think he's saying, in reference to every single day, he's saying we can be glad in it. Now, when I say that, I can't help but think of Mountain Family Fellowship. And one particular gentleman who came and shared his heart with us in the Lord, he was a man of color, and I am telling you, the brother could preach. Now, I, I asked the secretaries to go back and see if they could help us remember the years that he came and what his name was, but we don't have it. All I remember is this. He started every single message that he preached for us at Mount Family Fellowship the same way. And he said that he started his day every day with this same statement. And here's what he said. This is a day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Come sunshine or rain, prosperity or pain, this is a day that the Lord has made. Now, can you see why I remember that? Richard Dixon is a close friend of mine, and he's back in Rio Dosa now. He went back after that weekend, and, and, and he, was, he uh, was starting a new job in uh, the Dallas area. And it was in a Christian school, and for the next 15 years, every one of his classes started exactly that way. All of his students would stand up and say what I just said there. This is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Come sunshine or rain, prosperity or pain, this is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I, I don't know whether you hang with Philippians chapter 4 or whether that's catching up that that's something that you choose to use, but God says this, if you make the rejoice choice, life is better. He actually goes far beyond that. We don't have to be anxious for anything. I want to tap into that. And I think you do too. Let me illustrate it this way. When we got away for the month in the mountains of Ruidoso, I had to choose joy. I had to make the joy choice. Even though surrounded by amazing beauty and good memories and fun activities, even though for two weeks I didn't have to do any specific work, I didn't have a deadline, I didn't have a place I had to be, I still had to make the rejoice choice. A marriage of one of uh, the most influential ministers there in Rudoso and a close friend of mine had just ended. Two months before we got there. Word had made its way to us that Linda Lake had just died suddenly. Ronnie's cancer was back suddenly. The church at Gateway has just endured 20 members leaving to start another church suddenly. Just because I was in the mountains of Rudoso, I wasn't automatically joyous, I promise you. 
I had to make the rejoice choice, not once, not twice, but several times. At times, I purposely had to focus on God's handiwork. I had to focus on His mountains, His pine trees, His azure blue skies, the incredible people in my life that were around me, my wife, the great food we were having. I had to choose joy. Even though right outside my cabinet, even right next to me, were some incredible joyous things, I still had to choose joy. And that was the only thing that diffused my amygdala from firing and filling me with anxiety. I could have focused on what had been dumped in my lap through emails or conversations with others. All that was going wrong. But through the power of the Spirit and through the truth of God's Word, I made the rejoice choice to focus instead on God and all that He had going right. And it helped immensely. Did it help completely? No, because I'm still getting... I'm still getting used to trying to apply this in my life just like many of you are. Another word for this is worship. Just worship. When you turn your attention on God and His creation and His incarnation, directing our focus on God and His act of redemption, applauding Him, giving thanks to Him, and as you do that with the same energy you do lots of other stuff with, with lesser gods, it changes you. Let me illustrate this another way if I can. Let's suppose your dad's a heart surgeon. Not just a typical heart surgeon, as if there is a typical heart surgeon. But let's suppose your dad is a heart surgeon. No, he's the greatest heart surgeon that's ever lived. People come to him from all over the world to receive his treatment. He works in the chest cavity like a mechanic does under the hood. Are you with me? You're six years old. Actually, you're six years young. And not exactly old enough to comprehend what in the world a heart surgeon really does. But you're mobile enough to fall down the stairs of your home and twist your ankle. And when you do, there is tremendous pain and tremendous swelling. And there's also, at the age of six, tremendous worry. Why? Because in two weeks is the championship for your Little League Pop Warner team. And you're the quarterback. Things couldn't be worse, right? But then your dad walks in, the heart surgeon. He walks in the door still wearing his scrubs from the day's work, and he takes off your shoe, and he removes the sock, and you nearly faint at the tennis ball-sized lump that's forming there. And you're swamped with anxiety. And your amygdala goes nuts, and you say, Oh, Dad, I'll never walk again. Because that's what amygdalae do. Yes, you will, he says. He says, but I won't be able to play in the big game. He says, well, as young as you are, and, and this just seems like a, a, a sprain, we may have to tape up your ankle, but you'll probably play in the big game. Oh, Dad, there's just no way. He said, do you know what I do? He says, you probably don't. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick you up from school tomorrow, and I'm going to show you what your dad does. And so he does. He pulls into the parking lot at school and he picks you up. You hobble over on your crushes. He takes you to the hospital and he takes you into his office. And all of a sudden you're looking at all of these diplomas and you go, are these all yours? He goes, yeah. He hands you this big, thick book and it's got his name on it. He said, did you write this, Dad? Yeah. And about that time the phone rings and it's surgery. And he says, 
this little nurse right here is going to take you to a little spot where you can watch your dad do what your dad does. And so she does. She takes him up to a little operating overlook. And he watches his dad remove a heart and replace a heart. And he's stunned. And the nurse leans over to him during the surgery and says, I guess you know your dad's the best in the world. The ride home, there's not a lot you said until you say, Dad, how long were you thinking that my ankle was going to be messed up? Because you look at him differently now. And your anxiety is decreasing because your understanding of your father is increasing. Now, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what he's done. Rejoice in who he is. Stand back and look at the splendor of the stars in the sky. Stand back and have your world rock with the endless orbit of the planets. Take the time to give thought to the scriptures that announce that God has no beginning and no end. Take time to, to hear the slots of scripture that say, He knows everything. The number of freckles on your face, the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. And He loves you like nobody can. He's nuts about you. So much so He would die for you. Please look hard and long into the heart of your Father. And be overcome with joy that you're His. That you belong to Him. You know what I think? I think all of us walk around with unnecessary anxiety because of temporary limps. And when God says, I can take care of that, we don't know what to think. Well, this morning I wanted you to hear from a Christian prisoner. His name is Paul. And he says, how you deal with this is by rejoicing in the Lord. You make the rejoice choice. You choose to find joy over and over again in the Lord. And when you do, you begin to see anxiety lift. So, brother, I just want to encourage you. If your problems are getting to you, what I found is in large part, it's because your problems have more mind and more of your heart than God does. That's what I'm learning. And so consider what he's done. Hear the words of another satisfied customer, the, the great prophet Isaiah. Here's what he said. God will keep in perfect peace all who trust Him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I didn't know Isaiah did peace talks. Yeah. Him in the Old Testament and Paul in the New. And friend, I just want to say this. The mind that is full of God is going to be empty of anxiety. And so I want to ask this. Are you restless? Are you sleepless? Are you troubled? Please consider God's power. And how you do that is by rejoicing in the Lord. That's two things. I've moved really quickly to this because if we don't, our brains will explode. Number one, you consider His power. And number two, you celebrate your position. That's how you rejoice in the Lord. Spiritually speaking, can I remind you that you are in Christ, I didn't hit very well. Let me say this. Okay, are you in this auditorium? If you are, nod your head like this. Okay, you're in this auditorium. God says spiritually, and he has to say this or we wouldn't know it, 
that we are in Christ if we have trusted our hearts and what he did at the cross and the resurrection and been immersed in his name. We are in his family. Now that just doesn't make us part of an organization. He says it puts us in Christ, changes our position in life. Here, Romans 6 and verse 11. Christians are dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in Him, sealed with the Holy Spirit. I can do that. I can remember that, that God is who He says He is. And that hasn't changed no matter what's going on in my life. That has brought tremendous change. And I can remember that I'm, I'm in His family. I'm in His care. I'm not just left out here in the elements to myself. That's why David writes in Psalms 91 and verse 1, We live within the shadow of the Almighty, sheltered by a God who is above all gods. This I declare, that He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting Him. For He rescues you from every trap and protects you from the fatal plague. He will be your shield with His wings. and They will shelter you. His promises are your armor. Let me summarize that this way. Just like a mother hen covers her chicks, God covers you. In one of her books, Peggy Joyce Ruth gives an insight into this passage that I want to conclude with. She says, my husband Jack and I live out in the country. And one spring, our old mother hen hatched a brood of chicks. One afternoon, while they were scattered all over the yard, I suddenly saw the shadow of a hawk overhead. I then noticed something unique that taught me a lesson that I will never forget. That mother hen did not run to those little chicks, jump on them, and try and cover them with their, her wings. No, instead, she just sat down and spread out her wings and began to cluck. And all of a sudden, those little chicks just came running to her, and they got underneath her outstretched wings, and she pulled her wings in and tugged down tightly and made sure nothing was getting to those chicks. If that hawk was going to try to get to those chicks, he had to go through her. Brothers and sisters, God offers us protection, but we have to run to him. He extends his wings, but we have to respond. So can I encourage you to imitate those little chicks? Make it your aim to hide beneath the shadow of God's incredibly strong wings. This requires a conscious decision on your part. On God's part, he does the welcoming. He's done the dying. He's done the announcing. He's done the, just fill in the blank. He's done everything except respond for you. And he leaves that up to you. I think we focus on sprained ankles. And we forget our dad's the heart surgeon of the world who can fix anything. If you choose not to, you're going to run to places who will not be able to give you peace. And you will run to people who cannot give you peace. And you will choose ideas and philosophies that cannot give you peace. Or you can run to Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And He will give you peace. How do you do it? 
Well, the first section of this anxiety cure that we're looking at over the next 10 weeks is rejoice in the Lord always. Considering His power, considering our possession, I can do that when anxiety starts to rear its ugly head in my life. Is it going to come? Yes. Because I won't live anxiety free. But I don't have to live anxiety imprisoned. I don't. Don't take my word for that. Because I'm not making this up. And praise be to God, I don't have to. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning seeking peace in more ways than one. And we need you in our lives. You know what we're dealing with that is trying to rob us of our joy, trying to rob us of our peace, trying to take away from us what you meant for us to live in. But you know this war zone. You've lived here before. You know how tough it is for those of us who lose husbands, for those of us who lose jobs, for those of us who, who spent time in the battlefield, for those of us who have been through a divorce. Father, those are crazy things. How in the world can we experience those things and not be anxious about anything? That's the question that we bring to you. And we're trying. Give us ears to hear this morning. Help it to sink deep in our hearts to hear that we can rejoice in you always. And that we don't have to be anxious for anything. And we've done enough talking about it, God. We want to continue just praising you and putting our focus on you. Because we're about to head out into a week that's going to be tough. And we need for you, please, to begin to work in us this peace and this joy that you promise comes when we rejoice in you. For we ask us in Jesus' name and everyone said.